Testament, hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah that was to come. And the angel informs Mary she'll be the one to bring him into the world. And Joseph is informed to name him Jesus. He'll be Emmanuel, God with us. During the Christmas season, we enjoy so many cultural customs and traditions. And they should be fun. They should be heartwarming. And they are very nostalgic. I encourage you, sometimes we rush through the seasons and we rush from one thing to the next and our hearts get overwhelmed with all the busyness, with all the hustle and bustle, with all the presents and wrapping and pressures and cooking and all of these things kind of rob the joy away that was meant to be here at this time. You know, when you're young, Christmas is magical and the presents under the tree and all of that stuff. Anybody Anybody remember young? that you could hardly sleep at night. Now it's we've collapsed after wrapping presents for hours and we don't want to get up in the morning. But my heart is that we wouldn't grow numb to the excitement and the, the joy and the heartwarming things of the season and we should not let the nostalgia pass us by. It's good to remember the traditions and the family things and the personalities we enjoyed. I remember growing up, my grandparents were such a big part of Christmas. Maybe your grandparents have passed on, but you know, things change when those who are part of our family go on to be with the Lord, but we should always remember the traditions and the culture and where we've come from because it helps us to understand that we are a part of a journey, part of a story, and the Christmas season is meant to mean something to us. While most of our traditions, uh, dare I say all of our traditions and our customs are not biblical mandates, they still have relevance, amen? Do You know, you're not going to find anywhere in the Bible where it says, you know, go into your garage and take that old saw out from behind the tractor, and cut down a green tree and drag it into thy living room. Man, if you won't smile over that, you need need help. It doesn't say that in there. There's no Frosty, there's no Santa Claus, there's no Grinch. I'm sorry, Pastor Mike. But we know that these traditions, these customs, they're not biblical mandates. It's not instructed that we do these things yet. They're part of our culture, and you say, well, is it bad? No, it's not bad. Really, I see it all as an opportunity for the church. It's an opportunity for us uh, because for a brief moment, maybe more than any other time of the year, we have the world's attention about Jesus. And it's an opportunity for the church to shine the light in the darkness, amen? It's an opportunity for the church while people are thinking about these things. Now, I know there's so many distractions in the world that sometimes the baby in the manger you're seeing back there seems to be missed by a lot of people in our culture. But it's an opportunity for us to get people to understand what the reason for the season is. And it's not frosty, it's not Rudolph, it's not any of those things. It's not family feasts, it's not get-togethers, it's not presents, it's not heartwarming moments together around the table. No, those things are all satellite issues compared to the real reason for the season that Jesus Christ, the God-man, fully God, fully man, came to earth. God with us, Emmanuel, was given to us as a gift from heaven. Listen, Jesus meets our very need. 
If we needed a lawyer, God would have sent a lawyer. If we needed a doctor, God would have sent a doctor. If we needed an accountant, listen, he didn't send any of those things. He sent a savior because what we really need, what we need at the deepest part of our life, in the, in the quietest recesses of our heart, we need a savior to bring us salvation. And that's who Jesus is, the God-man who came, Emmanuel, God with us. As we celebrate Jesus' birth, let's consider a few overlooked conditions of his coming that are outlined in John 1, 10 through 13. Now, when I read John 1, 10 through 13, many people would say, come on, Pastor, that's not a Christmas scripture, but it is a Christmas scripture. And, and it might be not one that jumps out at you right away, but by the time we unpack it this morning, you and I are going to understand that this is exactly what Christmas is all about. Listen to John 1, 10 through 13. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, speaking of Jesus, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right, or King James says, the power to become sons of God, children of God, to those that believe in his name. A powerful scripture depicting the conditions of Jesus' coming and the byproduct of what his coming means. And the truth is we start off here with the, uh, this assertion that the world did not know who Jesus was. And in all the distractions of the season, we can lose the meaning of the fact that Jesus came as a baby, but who was he really and what was his mission? He was in the world and the world was made through him. Listen, but the world did not know him. Jesus came to the world not as a visitor or a tourist. It wasn't like Jesus was born and he was looking around, wow, they've done a nice job down here. Really, some really cool things happen. No, he, he didn't come as a tourist or a visitor. He came as the creator of the world. He created every part of it, every person in it, every rock, every tree, every mountain, every stream, every ocean. He was intimately involved in the creation of man. Yet when he gets there and, and he visits the world he created, his creation does not know him. Not a visitor, not a tourist, but creator. Listen to Colossians 1, 15 through 16. He is the image of the invisible God. Who? Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Listen, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him for him. That's who Jesus is. Yet he comes and creation does not recognize him. What a powerful thing for us to consider here. My hope today is that the world around us that's caught up in all the traditions and all the culture and the trees and the presence and the materialism would stop and discover who Jesus is this Christmas season that they would really know him. You see, because 2,000 plus years later, the world is still confused about who he is. In fact, if you went out on the street and asked 10 different people who Jesus is, you'd get 10 different answers. Some of them might be right, and some of them might make a good science fiction plot in a movie. But the world is still confused about who Jesus is. 
They don't know why he came. They don't know who he is. They don't know what he's accomplished and why his death, burial, and resurrection matters so much to every single soul. It matters so much today that you know who Jesus is and why he came. It will matter for eternity if we get the answer to that question correct. The world didn't know him. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know who he was when he came. The second part of what John says here is this. Not only did the world not know him, but his own didn't receive him. Listen, he came to his own. Say own. Jesus came to his own people, the people of God, the Jewish people, the people who were waiting for his coming. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Now, sadly, whether we like to think about it at Christmas time, you know, when we're all kind of in the afterglow and the joy and the caroling and all that, rejection is a big part of Jesus' story. And we don't like to think about rejection because all of us have experienced rejection and no, none of us like it. In fact, I, I would dare to say that any of us who've experienced rejection in a deep way wouldn't in the aftermath of it say, wow, I'd like to go through that again. That was quite enjoyable. What a ride that was. No, rejection is something that, you know, we detest, we loathe, yet rejection is part of Jesus' story. We don't like to think of it, but not everyone was thrilled when Jesus showed up. Not everybody was excited. Not everybody was, you know, greeted by a chorus of angels or a star in the sky. There were many who were not excited about Jesus' coming. In fact, those of us who know the scripture know there was a man named Herod who was a ruler. And Herod rejects the coming of Jesus so violently that he orchestrates the murder of every male child in the region under two years and under. He has them all murdered. Why? Because he's attempting to abort the coming of Jesus Christ. Herod, a, a political ruler, a ruler over the people, was so intimidated by the coming Messiah and it costing him his ability to lead, costing him his position, that he decides to reject his coming in such a violent way that he murders all the Hebrew children, the male children, two years and under. Do you realize the horrific scene of this happening in, in the people there. The scripture talks about, you know, that the mothers are weeping for their children, that Rebecca weeps for her children, but they are no more, and she is not comforted. Herod rejects the coming of Jesus in the most violent way, trying to abort his coming through the systematic murder of children. The religious leaders who had been waiting for the Messiah, the, the teachers and the, the rabbinical leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they knew the Old Testament inside out and backwards. There's hundreds of messianic prophecies in there that describe Jesus. We heard Isaiah 53 this morning as we read it and listened to it about who he would be, yet they were so learned and they knew the prophets inside out and backwards, yet when Jesus come and stands right before them, they don't recognize him and they don't receive him. The religious leaders opposed Jesus every step of his ministry. Not only did they, you know, not receive his coming, they didn't receive him. Why? Because he wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. Could you imagine the rejection that Jesus feels? 
He created all this creation, and the creation doesn't recognize him. He is rejected by his own. Uh, Herod tries to uh, abort his coming. The religious leaders uh, resist him at every step of his ministry. They reject and oppose him because they wanted a military leader to deliver them from Rome. They didn't want the Lamb of God to come who would take away the sins of the world. So Herod, not a fan the religious leaders, they reject and refuse to receive him. Jesus' own community doesn't receive him. Remember when Jesus gets older and his ministry begins, he goes to his hometown and he can't do any miracles there. Why? Because they look at him and they go, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary and Joseph's kid? Yeah, he's a carpenter. Somebody, yeah, he built me a chair. I never liked that chair. And they, they criticize him. They minimize him. They reject him. And what, what does the scripture say? That he couldn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So Jesus is rejected by the, the leadership of the world, the leadership of the, the spiritual leadership. He's also rejected by his own comi- community. And even worse, his own family doesn't know what to think of him. Mary tucked a lot of things in her heart because it was strange. Joseph, you know, it doesn't say much about what he thought in the Bible, but you know, most of the time he must have been like this. What's going on with this kid? Could you imagine being, you know, a sister or a brother to Jesus? Yeah, that's my brother. He's the Messiah. We don't hang out, you know. (laughs) His own family didn't even really believe in him until after the resurrection. Rejection always hurts. But it hurts the most when it's done to us by those closest to us. Rejection is part of Jesus' story. It's part of the Christmas story. It's part of what we all experience in life. Campbell Morgan, a British pastor, a renowned Bible teacher and leading evangelist of his day, who was a prolific author, he experienced rejection. Campbell Morgan was one of 150 young men who applied to become a minister of the Wesleyan denomination in 1888. His heart was to serve as a minister, to be a pastor in the denomination he grew up in, and he goes to apply for it, and he experiences rejection. You see, Campbell passed his extensive doctrinal examination, but then he faced the trial sermon. In a cavernous auditorium that could seat over a 1,000 sat three stone-faced ministers and 75 others to evaluate him as he preached. When Morgan stepped into the pulpit, he could feel the coldness of a room full of critical eyes upon him. Two weeks later, after his sermon, he saw his name appear on a list of 105 other applicants who'd been rejected for the ministry. He wired his father a one-word message, rejected. Quickly came back the response, rejected on earth, but accepted in heaven. In later years, Morgan would prove that that rejection was not the will of God. He would prove to be an amazing man of God, making an impact in his generation. But in the weeks that followed that rejection, he experienced the loneliness and darkness that lasted for a season. And finally, God spoke to him, and God said this, I want you to stop making plans for yourself and let me plan your life. It's a good word for us in the Christmas season. It's time for us to stop making plans and plotting our course and going our own way and allow God to take the reins of our life. 
Rejection is rarely permanent. And Morgan went on to prove that that rejection was not from God. Circumstances change in life. And ultimately, listen to me, child of God, there is no rejection for those who accept the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not rejected, but we are accepted. If those closest to us reject us, if the entire world rejects us, God will never reject us. My hope is today that those who've experienced rejection would understand that Jesus knows the pain of rejection, and yet rejection is not an end for us. It's only a step in our story. So we celebrate a baby who was sent to us, swaddled in a manger, who grew up to be a man, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead on the third day. So we could experience the exact opposite of what he experienced when he came. You see, Jesus was rejected by the world that he created, but you and I are not. We are not rejected by God, but we are known by God. Do you realize God knows everything about everyone sitting here today? He knows every detail about our lives, and yet we might think, well, if if anybody knew everything about me, they wouldn't like me and they wouldn't hang out with me. God knows everything about us and still loved us enough to send Jesus for us. We are known today. The world didn't know him when he came, but God knows us. Listen to Luke 12, 6 through 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten by God. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Look, even if they're not there, God knows how many there were. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. God knows the intimate details of our lives. He knows our beginning and our end, knows the day of our birth and the day that we'll go home to be with him. He knows our gifts and our talents and the calling of God in our life. He knows our flaws and our failures, and still we are fully known by him, and he loves us more than anyone else. So Jesus wasn't known, but we are known. When Jesus came, the world rejected him, but we're not rejected today, we're accepted. I want you to know, no matter how you feel, no matter if you feel isolated, if you feel like you're alone, if you feel rejected by those closest to you, that's something Jesus experienced. But at the bottom line, at the end of the day, we are not rejected, we are accepted by God. Amen. It's a good place to clap. Ephesians 1, 5 through 7 says this, having predestined us unto adoption, say adoption, of children by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. See that? We're not rejected. We're accepted. Jesus has made us acceptable to the Father in whom we have redemption. Listen to verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Wow. That's good news today. That's the gospel today. That's the Christmas blessing today, amen? That we, he, Jesus was not well received and he was unknown, but we're known. We are not rejected, though he was. We're accepted in the beloved that God's grace and his mercy through the blood of Jesus has made a way for us to have a relationship with the Father, has made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins. 
So we're known and we're accepted and we experience the exact opposite that Jesus did when he came. But the scripture continues here. There's more that John penned and it says this in verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the power to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God has given each of us the opportunity to come to him, to be known by him, to be accepted by him, and to become the children of God, part of God's very own family. Look, this is good news today, amen. This is good news that we were estranged from God by our sin, yet Jesus made a way for us to have relationship with the Father so that we could be children of God. Many spiritual people mistakenly say, we're all children of God. That is absolutely wrong. You and I are made in the image of God, but we're not children of God until we come into relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to make us children that were adopted and reunited with the Father. This is, a, this is the, really the Christmas miracle here, the Christmas blessing, that people that were estranged from God now have an intimate relationship through him. The people that were rejected by the world are accepted in the beloved. A powerful thing here this morning. To those who receive Jesus, he offers some incredible gifts. Pastor Mike, can you come sit over here for just a second? Pastor Mike is my gift unwrapper. Go ahead, sit there where you were. I'll send him back, I promise, when I'm done with him. But open our gift this morning and let's see some of the things Jesus has given us. Oh, there's a bunch of gifts in here, and the first one is forgiveness. What a gift forgiveness is. What a gift it is to be forgiven. Do you know there's some people that you do things to them, and they never forgive you, and they never forget. But yet God looks at all our sin, all of our flaws, all of our failures, all of our missteps, and he says, I forgive you. Forgiveness is a gift that is made available to us because that baby in the manger died on the cross and the tomb couldn't hold him and he rose again on the third day so that you and I can be forgiven. Amen. Forgiveness is a good gift and I encourage you to unwrap that gift today. But there's, but wait, there's more. There's more. Salvation. Woo. The greatest gift. Who could put a price tag on salvation? You see, the wages of sin are death, the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life. So he gives us this gift of eternal life. Why? Because he chose to save us. Jesus' mission wasn't a mission to judge. It wasn't a mission to expose. It was a salvation mission. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And that which was lost was you and I. And he saved every one of us who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Salvation is a free gift. But wait. There's more. They're catching on. Yeah, they're getting there. Slow. How about healing? Amen. I'm glad I'm forgiven. I'm glad I'm saved. But you know what? If you know me and you look under the hood, I'm a hot mess. Because I'm all broken up and I'm all messed up. Yet, what does he give us? The opportunity to be healed. 
When we come to Jesus Christ, he takes us anywhere we are, beaten up, broken down, and falling apart, but he refurbishes us, and he restores us. And listen, he puts back all the broken pieces. What a gift he's given us. I love it. If you need healing today, it's more than, listen, God heals bodies, amen? God still does miracles, but the most incredible healing that God will ever do is to heal a broken heart, to heal a broken soul, and to bring them out of the darkness into the light, out of being lost into relationship. The gift of healing today. But wait. There's more. A little slow this morning. Hope. Hope is another gift that he gives us. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. Understand, before the cross, sin had dominion over every one of us. But now because he's broken the power of sin, we have the hope to overcome. We have the hope of a future. We have the hope of heaven every day. No matter how bad the day is, no matter how much we're falling apart, we have hope. Amen. Some of you need to grab some hope this morning. Amen. You say, Pastor, you don't know, my life is just one big rut. Have you ever felt like that? I'm in a rut and it's getting deeper. Listen, there's hope. God reaches down in the muck and the mire and the dirt and the slop and he pulls us out of the rut here today. Grab some hope today because Jesus has given it to you as a gift. There's one last gift in the box and it's purpose. You know what? All of us have a purpose here today. You say, well, how could you say that, Pastor? You don't even know me. I know because God made each of us unique, gave each of us unique gifts. And, and when we come to him, we have a place in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ, and we have a purpose. Each one of you have a purpose today. If you're, if you're out there saying, no, not me, yes, you. I'm talking to you this morning. You're not an accident. You're an on purpose. People say, well, you know, I was, you know, my parents didn't even know I was coming. I was an oops. There are no oopses in the kingdom of God. There are no accidents in the kingdom of God. You're here on purpose, and you have a purpose, and your purpose is in Jesus Christ today. So these are some of the gifts of Christmas that Jesus has made for us. And I want to thank you uh, this morning for uh, being here on Christmas Eve day and and experiencing uh, the worship of the Messiah who's come to us. But understand, the greatest gift that he's given us, and we've covered some incredible ones, forgiveness, salvation, healing, hope, and purpose, all of it is encompassed in this one gift that we're going to explore today as we look at a video here that I call Carter's Christmas. And I hope you enjoy this and get the gist of it. But the gift that Carter receives is the gift that encompasses all the ones I've just covered. What do you mean? Okay, this is for you. This is from all of us. All of us. Picture of, of our family. 
all of us would love for you to be in the next picture and to be part of our family. Carter, would you like to be a kid and be in our son and brother? We love you. <laughs> what do you think, buddy? We're going to adopt you, Carter. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> we love you, buddy. Now you can stay here forever. The greatest gift of Christmas is the gift of adoption. That God would adopt us to make us his very own children. Included in that adoption are all the gifts that I covered. Forgiveness, salvation, healing, hope, and purpose. I love Carter's response there. Thank you so much, he said. That's the right response. But for us to say to God, thank you so much for what you have offered us in Jesus Christ. And listen to the words of the Father in that video. He says, now you can stay here forever. That's what God offers to us, a place in the family of God, adoption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Our response should be, yes, thank you so much. And God's response is, you're mine forever. The gift that includes them all is the gift of adoption. It's what John talks about here. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to be sons and daughters of God. My prayer today is that each of us would respond to the gift of Christmas, that we'd allow God to adopt us, that we would be one of his very own children today, and that we would be staying in his presence in this life and forever. Let's bow our heads today. Maybe you're here and you've never had an opportunity to receive the real gift of Christmas. You've gotten a lot of presents, you've enjoyed a lot of traditions, but you never made a decision to receive Jesus personally, to accept God's offer of adoption, to be part of God's very own family. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? It's, God made it so simple. We accept Jesus as Savior and Lord personally, and what he does is he forgives all our sin, he fills us with the Holy Spirit so we can live a different life. And he adopts us and makes us one of his very own children. If you want a clean slate, a fresh start, a new beginning, if you want the greatest gift of Christmas today, I simply want to extend it to you. And I want you to respond by lifting up your hand saying, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to respond to the Father's love. I want to see, receive Christ and live in the presence of God forever. If you're here today and you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, lift your hand this morning on this Christmas Eve. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Keep your hands up. We're gonna put a packet in your hand this morning. Uh, just, uh, you're not joining the church. We don't want your credit card number. We just wanna give you a little something to help you begin your new journey with Jesus Christ. As the ushers are passing those out, we're going to pray a prayer together. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize who you are. You're the gift of Christmas. 
and I hear the Father's call and I respond to it. I receive you today as my Savior and Lord. I repent of my sins and I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. From this moment forward, I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise this morning. Amen.